Praise God. I'd like to welcome everyone tonight, especially if you are a guest tonight. We're glad to have you in service with us. Thank you for being here tonight. If you're watching us online tonight, wherever you're joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service as well. Pray that you are blessed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. And in their absence this evening, we give honor to our bishop and mother rights. Praise God. They're out of town ministering this weekend. So keep them in your prayers. The Lord would use them. Praise God. Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. I'm going to start reading with verse 29 to give a bit of, I guess, context to the verse that I want to get to. So Exodus 28, verse number 29. Exodus 28, verse 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be a hole in the top of it in the midst thereof, It shall have a binding of woven work round about the whole of it, as it were the whole of a habergen, that it be not rent. And beneath upon the hem of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and purple, scarlet round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about, and it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord. I think there's, this isn't the verse that I'm getting to, but I pause. I think there's a principle here. When you get in the presence of God, there ought to be a sound from you. It's not good enough for somebody else to give a sound. You ought to be given a sound. And when he cometh out, that he die not. Verse number 36. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it, like engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. Now there is, there is something in verse 38. I've read the Bible through several times. I've 
read it through several times, if nothing else, is a part of requirement for ministerial licensing. So I've read this verse, but I've never noticed this phrase, really. And in the course of some reading and studying, I came across it, and it jumped out at me. Verse 38 says, It shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. That he may bear the iniquity of the holy things. Normally you don't consider iniquity as a part of holy things. But he said Aaron shall this holiness to the Lord is going to be on his forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in their holy gifts and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. It's going to be on Aaron's forehead so he can bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. Father, thank you for your presence here, especially in the last few moments of our worship, your presence that has moved into this place. Thank you, God, that you respond to our worship and our praise. You are not a God who is disconnected from us, but you are near. God, I pray now that you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word. I pray, Father, that you would let me be a conduit through which you can say what you desire to say, what you want to say to us tonight. I trust you, Lord, for your anointing. I depend upon you tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If as a believer, you do not have much interest in the Old Testament, you are greatly missing it. If all you're interested in is the Gospels and the Epistles and the Book of Acts, you are, you are missing it. In fact, I think you are in great danger. Because beyond merely a history of a nation, God used the children of Israel and what they went through. He established things for them in the natural and principles in the natural that were intended to be applied for us in the spiritual. One of those principles that you see established, in fact, I think it really began with Noah, at least, perhaps even sooner than that, but God doesn't care a whole lot about your opinion and my opinion. And when God decides to do something, when God wants to do something, you can rest assured 
He is not dependent upon you to figure out how to do it. And he's really not interested in your input on how to do it. I've tried to get God to come to some brainstorming sessions that I was trying to have in hopes that I could give him some good ideas, but he has never shown up. The only thing he ever seems to show up for is a moment in which he would just like to simply tell me what he would like to do and how he's going to do it. I've also learned that God rarely does things the way I think he's going to do them. I say rarely because I probably should just say never, but I'll leave a slight bit of room that maybe once or twice I got lucky and I guessed right. The moment you think you pretty much have it figured out what God's going to do or the way God's going to do something, you can pretty much mark it down. You might as well scratch it because you haven't gotten it. And so God is very on purpose, very specific. When he told Noah that a flood was going to come and that he wanted him to build a a boat, build an ark for salvation, he did not simply say, Noah, I need you to build a boat, whatever you want to do, just go for it, it'll be all right. He gave him very specific instructions on how to do it. He told him how many floors, he told them how many windows, how many doors, he told them the kind of wood to have. And I am of the very strong belief that if Noah would have deviated from what God said to do and the way God said to do it, that when the waters began to, when, when the rain began to come and the fountains of the deep open up, I believe that boat would have sunk. We go into the children of Israel and their journey into the wilderness and their what was intended to be their journey into the promised land and God begins to give them laws and God begins to establish some things and one of those things God does is he gives them a tabernacle touched on it some last Sunday night hence the furniture that is sitting up front here but when God told Moses he wanted a tabernacle a place where I can meet with you a place where my people will know that I am dwelling among them he did not say to Moses just build me a house and whatever you want to do that's good Moses, no doubt, probably had some big ideas of how to build God a house based on his experience in Egypt. He probably had some pretty brilliant ideas and probably could envision a pretty spectacular house to build God. But when God tells Moses to build him a tabernacle, he begins to specifically lay out, this is the design I want. This is the material I want. This is what I want in it. And this is how I want you to build it. This is, this is the materials that I want you to use. He did not leave it up to Moses. I find in that a principle that God established, and that is that God, God has a way of doing things. That God cares about how something is done. God cares about the way His business is conducted. 
I'm here to tell you tonight if there's ever been a time in which we are in danger as Christians and even as apostolics, it is today because there are voices that are now trying to tell us that you you don't really have to do it quite that way and you don't really have to follow those patterns that God established. I mean, God will accept whatever. Well, then I guess what you're telling me is that somewhere along the way God changed. Because I look back from the beginning of time and the pattern that I see with God is he is very specific about what he wants and the way he wants it. And actually he's not too intimidated by you and the fact that you might just take your ball and go home. (laughs) There's kind of an opinion today that, you know what, God will just accept whatever it is I want to give and however I want to give it. He's just happy to get whatever I have. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me show you kind of the first example of that. That happened in the book of Genesis chapter four and verse number three. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, that's his brother, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. The Lord accepted Abel's offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. He was not happy that God was not willing to just accept what he decided to give. He thought what Abel brought ought to be good enough for Abel, and what he brought ought to be good enough for him. And yet the Bible says that God had no respect for what Cain brought, because Cain brought it on his own terms. Cain was willing to give something, but he was going to give it his way. He was willing to offer an offering and worship, but it was going to be the way he dictated it to be done. If you haven't noticed yet, tonight's not the rah-rah 2017 vision message either. God's not obligated to take what I have the way I decide to give it. He's got some things he wants. And he's got some ways he wants it. And he's not going to bend or bow to anyone. He's not going to let anybody have their way. There's no one that's going to intimidate God into making him go their way rather than them going his way. And I wonder how many times we bring stuff to God. I'll give it. But I've got some things I've decided as a part of what I'm going to give and how I'm going to give it. And so, 
I say all of that basically just to try to get the point across to you if you are not really aware of it that God is, God's not necessarily the easiest person to deal with. Fortunately, he's a really loving God. He's a really loving father. But like a good father, like a good father, he's not all into just trying to please his kids. I, 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 I think I did it a couple of times when I was a kid and a teenager, and now I'm on the other end of it. I've had it happen to me a couple of times, and you probably, if you're a parent of a child of more than several years, and especially a teenager, you probably had it happen to you where the the introduction to the conversation goes something like this. I, I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask anyway. Can I go here? No. Oh, man. Wait a minute. You told me in advance you knew what I was going to say. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want to let you down. I'm giving you the answer you said was the answer I was going to give you. Yet your attitude tells me while you expected the answer, you were not submitted to the answer. God says, this, this is, this is what I want. Well, 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 God, I'll do it this way. I'll do it my terms, my conditions. I mean, surely it's good enough. I'll, I'll, I'll live however I want to live Monday through Saturday. And when I come Sunday, you accept whatever I give. I hope to get you a little more excited before we finish, but maybe not. I've come to worship you. I've come to do my dance. I like, I've come to do my dance. <laughs> I've come to give you something. I'm going to bless you tonight, God, and give you something. And you ought to be willing to accept what I give and it be good enough. Ask Cain how that works out. Not real well. And so in the verses we read, It says, the iniquity of holy things. The iniquity of holy things. Basically meaning that in the course, in the process of doing what I have instructed you to do, there's going to be some elements of it that are not right. There's going to be some ways in which you do what I instruct you to do, but there's going to be an element of some flesh that gets involved. There's going to be an element of your will that gets involved, and there's going to be some things that get in your way. Permit me, if you will, for a moment to read. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his daily devotion, writes this with regards to that phrase. 
What a veil is lifted up by these words and what a disclosure is made. It will be humbling and profitable for us to pause a while and see this sad sight. The iniquities of our public, the iniquities of our public worship, it's hypocrisy, it's formality, it's lukewarmness, it's irreverence, wandering of heart and forgetfulness of God. We clap our hands and we raise our hands and we might even offer a step or two of a dance, but our mind is a thousand miles away. I know we got some guests here tonight and please, especially if it's your first time, come back another another time. Give us a second chance. Give me a second chance. If you've been here long enough, if it's your first time in a Pentecostal church, you, you probably have been a little bit surprised by what goes on. You've probably seen a few things. If it's your first time in a Pentecostal church, you've never seen in church before. Stick around long enough and you can learn how to do what we do. You can learn when to say, Every now and then you can figure out when to throw in a, that's right. You might even get out of preach it every now and then. You can learn when to do this. You can learn when to do this. You might even possibly go so far as to learn when to do this. And it be nothing more than obligation. Nothing more than duty. Nothing more than ritual. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but my heart is not really in it. I'm doing what I'm obligated to do, but, but I'm not really giving everything. We, we just sang before I preached, we worship you. We worship you. I remind you because most of you already know it. Praise and worship are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. The Bible says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The Bible says if we are silent and don't do our part, even the rocks will cry out. You can live however you want to live and praise God. Oh, hallelujah. May not like it. You may not agree, but I think I'm right, so I'll say it again. You can live however you want to live and praise because the only qualification to praise is this. If you're doing that, you are, have a right to praise. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so you can offer up praise and be the rankest of sinners there are. But if you want to get beyond the dimension of praise and step into the dimension of worship, there are some things that are required to be a worshiper. You can live like the devil and be a praiser. 
You can live however you want to and praise God. But you cannot live however you want to live and be a worshiper. Because to be a worshiper, the word basically means to prostrate oneself. That that means you become vulnerable. You become submitted. You become surrendered. And so if I'm going to go beyond praise and into worship, I've got to not just get my mouth involved. And I don't just get my hands involved. And I don't just get my feet involved. But if I am going to be a worshiper, I've got to get my will involved. I've got to get my attitude involved. I've got involved. I've got to get everything there is about me involved if I'm going to be a worshiper. And the Bible says, Jesus said, he did not say the Father is looking for praisers. I don't mean to be offensive or unkind, but praisers are a dime a dozen. It doesn't take much to get praisers. In fact, there are stadiums that are filled today with praisers. The object of their praise is not a, is not the God, but they are in fact praisers. But to go beyond praise and enter into the dimension of worship, which is what the Father said he was seeking, was worshipers. In fact, he also said a true worshiper worships in spirit and truth. And so it is very possible to participate in religious activity and participate with the iniquity of sacred things. He goes on to say, what a full measure have we there. Our work for the Lord, it's emulation, selfishness. I read that, I'm, wait a minute, working for God and selfishness, they don't go together. Right? There's no way you work for God and selfishness is involved, right? That's an impossibility. I mean, really, how can, how can you, how, how do you work for God? How do you give yourself to God and selfishness be involved? There, that's, there's no way. Well, when my motive is involvement in God's work for what I can get out of it, when my motive for involvement in God's worth is to validate or give me some kind of worth myself, there's selfishness, carelessness, slackness, unbelief. What a mass of defilement is there. He, he's saying, you do these things, you do the right things, but this is what's involved in doing them. Our private devotions... Their laxity, coldness, neglect, sleepiness, and vanity. What a mountain of dead earth is there. If we look more carefully, we should find this iniquity to be far greater than appears at first. And the Lord said, I, I, I've, got this, I've got this inscription put on Aaron, holiness to the Lord. And he's going to, he's going to step into the gap, if you will. For those that are participating in the right things. But everything they're doing is not necessarily right. 
Numbers 18. Verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house, house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. First place we read, he said they're going to bear the iniquity of sacred things, holy things. And now he says that you will bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. Of the sanctuary. You will bear the iniquity of what's going on in the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. I'm going to put on you a weight of responsibility for those who are doing the right things. But there's some contamination, if you will, in what they're doing. I am so... I guess tired would probably be correct. I'd rather not say it that way, but it's probably in some ways true. I think I'm also angered in ways, frustrated in ways, of the feeling of the constant challenge that we must let down. That we expect too much. I'm sorry, but we are living in a world that likes to dumb things down. They like to lower the standards on everything. They like to make easy, make everything easier. They make it easier to get by. They make everything. I'm, I'm glad for some things that are easier today than they used to be. But when it comes to the sacred things of the Word of God, and it comes to the principles of the Word of God, there is no modifying them. There is no changing them. There is no letting down on them to make it easier. Well, Brother Wright, don't you think if we changed this a little bit and weren't so strong on that and didn't stand for this we might be a little more effective and we might reach a few more people we might get a bigger crowd we might draw a larger crowd but a crowd is not a church a crowd and a church are not synonymous because Jesus said the church or the scripture says the definition of the word church means to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we got too many people that want to be a part of church, but they still want to keep living in the same darkness they were in. And the real scary thing is that you can find pulpits all across this country and all around the world where the preacher will tell you, do what you want to do in the kingdom of darkness and then come and do what you want to do in the kingdom of light and God will be okay with it. It's all good. 
And I've come to tell you tonight, if we're not careful, we're going to get involved in the iniquity of the sanctuary. It may look like some right things, but if we cheapen the value of it, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. I've got to tell you, there's probably somebody here tonight that could help me get a better grasp on it because I, to be very honest with you, I probably don't have enough grasp on this to do what I'm doing and preach it tonight. I don't, I don't think I've really, I don't think I've really completely grasped. I, 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 I know I've read it before. Brother Middleton, I've read it, but I never noticed the iniquity of Sacred things and the iniquity of the sanctuary. I, I, I'm not. I'm sorry. I, I I don't have to answer to you. I only have to answer to one person. And as long as he knows what I'm saying is true, that's all that matters. I am not shooting at anybody here tonight. If you think I'm picking on you from this pulpit, I am sorry. I don't have a single name in mind. I don't have an individual in mind. I don't mean this lightly. There's a Bible. I got my hand on it. And I preach to people tonight, you're participating in the sanctuary, but you, but you, 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 you spreading rumors and you're gossiping and you're backbiting and you're doing some right things. But in the midst of it, there's stuff that you've also, you've decided is acceptable to be a part of what you're doing. And God is just going to accept it. And I've come to tell you tonight, thankfully God realized that there was going to be some of that going on and made a way for it to be dealt with. And he said, to Aaron, I'm going to put it on you, but if you'll do your part, I'll deal with it, rather than bringing the judgment and what should come for it. People that stand on a platform, whether it's here or someplace else on a Sunday morning, you've got basically about that much relationship with God you know how to play an instrument or you know how to get the part right so you're doing in the sanctuary what's supposed to be done in the sanctuary but there is iniquity going on with what you're doing in the sanctuary iniquity in the see here's a here's our problem i i don't know about you maybe all of you maybe most of you are you know, you're spiritually mature enough, you're beyond this point. But I got to tell you, there are a few times, Stephen, when I sit and think, you know, I, 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 I kind of take a, 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 an analysis or an a, a, a examination of myself and, and the things that I am totally aware of that are my faults and failures. And, of course, the bottom line is the Bible says I don't even know my own heart. So I, I'm not talking about the stuff that I don't know is there that only God knows. I'm talking about the stuff that I'm aware of. And there's some times I go through and I, I kind of list those things in my mind. And then I start to think about people in the world. And Brother Spriggs, you know what? I start to think, you know something? I know I'm not perfect. I know I make some mistakes. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty clean guy. I, I, you, 
I, most of you have heard me refer to it. If you haven't, I, I, I play racquetball three mornings a week at Severna Park Racquetball Club. I, usually you're in between some games. You're sitting around. Guys are talking. I, there, there's one guy there. He literally, I don't know if he can say a sentence without using the F word. Honestly, I don't think the guy can say a sentence without using the F word. I don't even use the word C-R-A-P. Not judging you if you use it. I'm just telling you, I don't use it. Because when I was a kid, I was taught that was a bad word. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even come close to the F-bomb. I mean, I don't even do that. I don't say the F-bomb, and I won't even say C-R-A-P. I won't even say F-A-R-T. Of course, that's a little bit different. Not putting that in the category of profanity, don't. Just trying to provide a little bit of brevity for a second before I choke to death. I, 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 I'm, as of May... As of May, I will have been married 25 years. 20, that's crazy. A quarter of a century. That's, that's crazy. 25 years. As of, I will have been married 25 years. The woman I am married to was my high school sweetheart. She's the only person I've ever kissed on the lips of the opposite sex besides a daughter when they were younger. I, Sorry for you with little kids. This is one of those services you might have to deal with a few things when you get home. My apologies, but I was a virgin when I got married. I've never drank alcohol. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never done any drugs. And I get into a comparison, Brother Williams, and I can start feeling pretty good. About me. And I can start to live comparative holiness. The measurement of my holiness is not Hollywood, the tabloids, the music industry, and That one's easy. But the measurement of holiness for my life is not the TV preacher. It's not the church up the street, down the street, across the street. There is one unchanging, eternal measurement. And if I'm not careful, I can start bringing some iniquity in the sanctuary because in comparison to all of that, I'm really good. The only problem is when I come in his presence, he's not looking at me and looking at them. He's looking at me and looking at himself because he is manifested, demonstrated right here. So the question is not how I compare to them. And let's go ahead and get it about as close as home as I know how to get it. You are not my measurement of holiness either. 
My wife is not my measurement. My parents are not. My kids are not. I've got one thing that determines if my life is in alignment with what God wants. And that is His Word and His Word alone. Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. The sanctuary. Now I know, don't, 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 don't get in some debate with me in your mind right now. I'm, I'm talking principle, not talking f- literal. There's the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, I, I get that. But I think there's also another principle here where he's making a distinction between the people, the congregation, and the leaders. And he said, not only is there iniquity of the sanctuary, thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. That tells me I'm going to try to do what I'm supposed to do. There's going to be some stuff. That gets in the way. My point is not to make an excuse tonight. My point is to challenge all of us to make sure that we don't get comfortable. We don't start comparing ourselves among ourselves and by ourselves. Let me tell you something. If you, oh Jesus. If you're, if you're shopping churches to figure out the one that you think is the most convenient and fits your preferences the most, there's a really good chance you're not saved. If any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross. You don't pick up your cross at the back door when you walk in on Sunday morning. And check it back in when you leave to go home. You don't pick it up Sunday night when you walk through the door and leave it when you go home. You get a cross when you get saved. And it's supposed to be with you all the time. As a reminder, I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I have been purchased by him for him. And it's not about my desires and my preferences and my will anymore. What's really sad is we got Christianity that's trying to eliminate his cross. I mean, I don't know how you can even think you get away from that cross and we have anything. That's really scary. But the other problem is we've got people that they don't want to eliminate his cross. But you don't need a cross. Oh, I know. I, I, I'm, I know I am not being a good salesman tonight. I understand that. Because a good salesman's going to tell you what you want to hear. Anybody besides me ever bought something you didn't need? Because that guy knew how to sell it. Said all the right things. That's right. 
You, you, didn't, you didn't know the need you had until he got done and you opened up your bank account and made this investment. They don't, they don't, you, you go buy a new car, they don't really gonna, they're not really gonna tell you about how much it's gonna cost you in fuel. They're not really gonna lay out the price for maintenance. They just want you to smell a new smell. They just want to show you the bells and the whistles. Forget the price. Problem is, we got too many people that are trying to just sell, peddle something. The problem also with selling is, if I want to sell it, I want to make it as cheap as I can for you. How can I reduce the price? I, I, I remember, I think it was actually a fifth, sixth, seventh anniversary, somewhere in there, if I'm not mistaken. And somebody in the church had been to one of those timeshares and 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 so you know they had to give some recommendations so they gave my wife and I as as one of the the families and so you know you they get you get the call we're going to give you three nights stay for free and all we know you have to do is sit through an hour presentation that's all you got to do in three nights free and so you know what we we were we were young and we didn't have much money and a getaway was really appealing and so we said you know what we're not buying anything we're not going to buy but we are we're going to well, they're fine. Three nights away, good, sounds good, break, all that, wonderful. And so we went and, and so we scheduled our, our hour or so ride around the resort and, and they brought us back in and sat us down and the guy that had taken us for the tour sits us down and starts to give us the sales pitch and, and so this is, this is the condo and, and this is the price it's going to cost you. What do you think? No thanks, we're good. Hold on a minute, let me talk to my manager okay without even really fighting the guy without even pushing back at him just simply saying no thanks we're not interested he gets up walks away comes back and in about 60 seconds he's offering me the same thing for half the price no sir we're you know really we 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 just really can't well you know what let me go talk to my manager and see gets up walks away and came back, and I think he almost reduced it for another half. Um, hmm. <sighs> you know, can, give us a few minutes to talk about this. <laughs> I am very thankful to tell you that we did hold our ground. I probably could have pushed a little harder if I would have actually decided, gotten a little cheaper, and then purchased it. That's what sales is all about. This isn't sales. It's salvation. And there are no bargains for salvation. You can go buy you imitation clothes, imitation perfume and cologne, imitation watches, 
probably get, I remember years ago, I was driving through the Naval Academy and I looked from a distance and I saw this car and it looked from a distance to be like a Lamborghini or a Porsche, something Ferrari or a Lamborghini or Ferrari, red kind of black top. I saw it from a distance. I'm like, man, check that out. And I kind of tried to work it so I could get by it and finally made it by it. And I rolled down my window as it passed by and that thing sounded like a VW bug. I think it's what they refer to as a kit car. It looks like something that it's not. And the Lord understood that even for the sincere and the genuine, there was going to be some iniquity in the sanctuary. Much less those that were stubbornly deciding, I'm just going to do it my way. If it's not good enough for those that are trying to do it right to get by with iniquity in the sanctuary, there is no way those who are deciding to do it all their way are going to get by. And God is just going to simply accept it. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness, and they shall keep the char- thy charge and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die, and ye shall be joined unto thee, And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle. And a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And you shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And and I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Congregation, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Man, how different would we come into the presence of God. If we knew, I know I said it last week, I'm sorry, I'm saying it again. I wonder how different we would approach church and care group and prayer meetings and our own personal time of devotion and prayer if we knew that if I didn't get it right, oh, brother, right, that's just not right, that's unjust, that's unfair. There's no way God's really like that. What would be unfair is if God expected something but did not tell you what he expected. What would be unfair is if this was the bar that he set but never told you and you just had to figure it out. But when he gives you in advance all that you need to know and then you decide, I decide out of my own flesh and will, you know what? Not the way I want it. Not the way I'm interested in. And then to accuse him of being unfair? 
I, I've disciplined my kids a lot of times in their lifetime. I believed in spanking my children, and I spanked them. I did it very controlled. I never did it angry. I never abused them. I did it very disciplined and routine way. And But I never one time just walked through the house and one of my kids passed by me and I just grabbed him by the arm and got out the paint stick and went to town whacking him on the rear end. What's that for, Dad? No. We always were clear. Here's what I'm about to do. And I know I really don't need to tell you why because you already know why. But just to be clear, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I told you before you did it, if you did it, I would do this. <laughs> Preached it this morning here in Arnold. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Standeth in the way of sinners, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The scripture says he would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Whatever he did would prosper. But then it says the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Now wait a minute. If your life ends like chaff driven away, but you knew that if you took counsel from the ungodly, and if you followed man's ways, that was going to be the outcome. Don't point a finger at the one who said from the beginning. It, it, it always kind of amazes me when God, when God was addressing the children of Israel, giving them the commandments, and then, and then he says to them, if you'll do this, 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 then I will bless you. You'll have life. And then he says, if you don't do this and you don't do that, you don't, then, then I'm going to curse you. And, and then the scripture, he says, choose you this day. Choose life or, wait a minute, there's no choice. I do this and I'm going to get this. I don't do this and I'm going to get that. I think I'll, and yet, what do we find? People who were constantly choosing what would lead to exactly what he said would lead to death. But he told them to begin with. Told them from the very beginning, if you do this here, is what's going to happen. Barnes note says this with regards to the iniquity of the sanctuary. The guilt of the offenses which an erring people would, content, would be continually committing against the majesty of God when brought in contact through the ordinances with the manifestations of his presence. Do you, do, 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 I, I, I'm assuming you, 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 you're getting this, but the iniquity of the sanctuary, Brother Middleton, comes through the activities of the sanctuary. Well, we were in church not just Sunday morning. I mean, there's a bunch of people that go to church once a week. Come on, that's, man, we're here two times in a day, and most of us will be here Thursday night. We're gonna be, we'll be here three times. I mean, come on, that's worthy of a good pat on the back, right? 
I'm not trying to be mean tonight. I'm not trying to be unkind. I am trying to challenge you. I am. I'm, you know what? You, you, you teenagers probably, young people probably have much more of a challenge with this than even us old folks. I mean, most of you compared to your peers are angels. Even with whatever struggles you're going through, you are angels. I mean, you're sitting, let me look, look at these guys, man, sitting on front row of church on a Sunday night. I, that is very impressive. It is. I mean it. But it's not about, well, I'm in the sanctuary. My friends, man, they're not even in church tonight. Not only are they not in church, they're probably doing this. They're probably watching that. Probably. And I'm in the sanctuary. But am I in the sanctuary doing it on his terms? Or am I here trying to do it on my terms? Bear with me, if you would, please. I, I want to read a little bit more. This comes from the Bible exposition commentary of the Old Testament. It says this. Because of the Lord's judgments against the rebels at, his, at the tabernacle and his miraculous defense of Aaron's high priestly ministry, the people of Israel were terrified even to have the tabernacle in their camp are we, going, are we all going to die? That's what they say at the end of chapter 17, right before the verses we read in chapter 18. Are we all going to die, they cried. Actually, God's presence in their camp was the distinctive mark of the people of Israel. For Israel was the only nation to have the glory of the living God present with them and going before them. God spoke expressly to Aaron and thereby elevated his high priestly ministry even more. The Lord made it clear that it was the responsibility of the priests to minister in the tabernacle and protect it from defilement. And it was the responsibility of the Levites to assist the priests in their tabernacle ministry. As long as the priests and Levites obeyed this rule, there would be no judgment sent to the people. The priestly ministry was a serious matter, for if the priests didn't follow God's instruction, they might die. If they permitted an unauthorized person to come near the tabernacle or minister there, God could slay them. God could slay them. Can you I mean, think about that for a minute? Go to church and you might not make it home from church because of church. Not, not because of what happened on the highway, not because of an accident trying to get here or get home, but because you, you got to church where you were supposed to be. But in the presence of God, you might die. If they permitted an unauthorized person to come near the tabernacle or to minister there, God could slay them. It was dangerous to disobey even in the matter of how they dressed or if they washed regularly. 
God held Aaron and his sons responsible for offenses committed against the sanctuary and the priesthood. And now we try to say in 2017, anything goes. Brother Wright, are you trying to make us afraid of God? Absolutely not. I am trying to help get us a little bit of perspective of what it is we have. And how blessed we are that you and I don't have to come to church, come to the tabernacle, the presence of God in fear that I might lose my life there. I, no wonder. I mean, it wouldn't be any wonder if people stayed home from church then. The priesthood was God's gift to Israel, for without priests, the people couldn't approach God. The Levites were God's gift to the priests, relieving them of menial tasks so they could devote themselves fully to serving God and the people. The seven men appointed in Acts 6, usually called deacons, had a similar relationship to the apostles. There's nothing demeaning about serving tables, but the apostles had more important work to do. Everything rises or falls with leadership. Everything rises or falls with leadership. And Aaron was the leader of the priestly family. He was accountable to God for what happened at the sanctuary. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but he dwells in our bodies by his Holy Spirit. And among his people in the local assembly, we must be careful how we treat our bodies and what we do to the church of Jesus Christ. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. I'd like in closing tonight to challenge every Holy Ghost filled believer in this sanctuary tonight to take a few moments here in this service tonight and open your heart and your spirit to the Spirit of God to allow God the opportunity to search you and perhaps, if it's there, show you some things that, in fact, you might be dealing with sacred, holy things. and You might be in the sanctuary, but you've allowed iniquity in the sanctuary. You've allowed your will, your flesh, your ways to be incorporated and how you do what you do. I'll be a part of ministry, God. I'll be a part of serving you. But there's a few things that I reserve the right to how I feel or what I do, what I say. I'm going to do what is expected. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do it my own way. And God, from the very beginning of the establishing of the tabernacle, says, 
There's going to be some iniquity with some sacred things, and there's going to be some iniquity with in the sanctuary, and I'm setting up a way to deal with that. That's that's I, I probably should spend more time on it, but all of that was about God providing a way. This is the problem. This is the issue, but I'm also making a solution. Rather than just having to give judgment and execute judgment, this is, this is what's going on. This is what's going to go on. But this is how it can be dealt with and mercy can be shown. I'm asking you, if you would, right now to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, if nothing else, out of respect for those that are around you. I trust, I believe, that the Holy Ghost is talking to some people here tonight. If you're willing to acknowledge that, would you then be willing to get up out of your seat and make your way down to this altar? Open your heart, open your spirit to the Lord tonight. God, I don't want to become content with being in the sanctuary and being a part of sacred and holy things, but in fact there being iniquity that I bring into the sanctuary. I don't want to just bring you my praise and my worship on my terms. I don't want to just pray on my terms. I I don't want to just worse I don't want to just serve on my terms. I I don't want to just be involved in ministry because that's the right thing to do, but I retain the right to, to do things my way, to hold on to my attitudes, my ideas, my resistance to what you ultimately want. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, don't let us become comfortable and content with participating with spiritual things, with acts of worship and acts of ministry and involvement in your kingdom, but it all is done on our terms and our way. That we, like Cain, are willing to bring an offering we have no problem giving you an offering as long as the offering we can give you is what we decide. God, help us individually and as a body to not just simply be willing to give what we want to give, but to bring you what you want, how you want it, when you want it, where you want it, as often as you want it, that it's your terms and not our terms, God, that you dictate what's expected and how it's going to go rather than us trying to tell you how it's going to go. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
Search me tonight, God. Search me tonight, God. Search me tonight, God. I don't want to be a participant. I don't want to be involved in what is ultimately causing or producing iniquity in your sanctuary. I want my will. I want my attitude. I want my actions. I want my conduct. I want my conversation to all be in alignment with your expectations, your desires. Help me to present myself to you as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you as my reasonable service. Not just giving you a part of me, not just giving you a portion of me, but giving you all of me, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
one more time in your own words, in your own way, could you tell him that? Could you surrender yourself to him? All myself, God. I don't just give you a part and then I retain control of the rest. I don't just give you even the majority and hold just a small portion back for myself, but I give you all. I want to be a living sanctuary, pure, holy, tried and true, a place, God, where you can dwell without reservation, where you can live and be everything it is you desire to be in and through me, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God, praise God. God bless you. Please be careful as you're leaving tonight, since there's a chance some of the snow melted today and has gone back to ice. Please be careful as you're getting to your cars and as you're driving home.